Good evening. Welcome to our Living Lord's Supper. What this is, is we won't be necessarily acting out the Lord's Supper. We're going to be presenting to you each of the disciples and their relationship with Jesus before we take the Lord's Supper. I will be teaching the Lord's Supper throughout the service, but we're glad that you're here, and I'm super thankful for these 13 men and the work that they've put in to be able to help you experience the gospel of Jesus Christ on one of the most holy nights of the entire year of Christian celebration, the night that Jesus gave us our Holy Supper for grace, unity, and the forgiveness of sins. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to talk briefly about that night and what was happening in Jesus' life and what was happening in all Jewish life, and so you get a context. Jerusalem, they say, housed about 12,000 people. But for the beginning of the Passover, for the Passover meal that began a a feast of seven days of unleavened bread, usually the city had about 120,000 people, so ten times. People connected with relatives and friends and, and acquaintances, and they had their Passover meal. You hear that in the Gospels that Jesus made an arrangement. He said to his apostles, go, two of them, Peter and John, go and you'll see a man carrying water on his head. And ask him, my master wants to use your upper room. Get, can we make preparations for the Passover? Which means to buy a lamb, have it sacrificed, bitter herbs, water, wine, and, a few, and unleavened bread and a few other things. Peter and John did that. They found the man. He said yes. And Jesus went there in the dark of Monday Thursday, which, of course, that day was just called the beginning of the Passover. And he went with his apostles. And as Jews, this was their annual New Year's. Passover was the, the, the remembrance of when their nation started as a nation when Moses, 1,500 years earlier, had led Israel out of Egypt. The angel of death that, pa- that passed over their houses because they had sprinkled blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their house by God's command, that angel of death didn't kill their firstborn, but he did kill the firstborn of every household in Egypt. And so the Egyptians said, go, you can go be your own nation. Get out of here before your God does worse things to us. And so God said to Moses, from now on, every year, celebrate like a meal like you had that night, bread without yeast because it didn't have time to rise that night, a lamb that's pure, slain for the family, and you are to eat this bread and eat the lamb and drink the water and drink the wine. And Jews celebrated the Passover. Jerusalem was never more busy than it was at the time of the Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples were there. In the middle of the Passover... Jesus picked up the bread and said, take eat, this is my body given for you. He'd been talking about going to the cross and being handed over to the Romans by the Jews, and it was all coming to fruition. When he said that, take eat, this is my body given for you, he, and, and gave it to them, he meant that his body would forever be with the bread of the Lord's Supper, because he said, do this in remembrance of me. And later his apostles said, when you eat the bread, you're eating the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. When he picked up the cup of wine, he said something just a little different. You've probably noticed when you take the Lord's Supper, it's a little longer. He said, take drink this cup, and here's the part that a lot of us don't remember always. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. That is actually a reference to two passages in their Old Testament that they would be familiar with. The first one was, when they came out of Egypt... And Moses had gone up up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments and the 613 ceremonial laws. 
When he brought him down from the mountain and all the people were standing there, he said, if you will follow all of these laws, God will be your God because he's the God that brought you out of Egypt. And he had the blood of bulls in bowls and there were stone altars in front of him that represented God's part. And then the, the tribes were lined up by 12 tribes on the other side of Moses. And the people said, we want God to be our God. We will follow his laws. And so he took a hyssop branch and he, sprink, he smeared it in the blood bowls and he sprinkled it on the stones to say, God is in on this covenant. Then he sprinkled the blood on the people in the front of the lines of the tribes and said this, this is the blood of the covenant between you and God. You are now his people. And everybody cheered. And Moses went up on the mountain with 70 men and they ate with God and they miraculously weren't killed for going up on the mountain they weren't supposed to go up on. And God showed he accepted them. And then follows, that's 1500 BC, then follows hundreds of years of Israel committing adultery on God. And it's all through the period of the judges, all through the period of the kings, and all the idolatry and all of the fallacious living that they had. And Jeremiah the prophet in 600 BC, so you're talking 900 years later, this is what he said. God brought you out of Egypt like a child and like a wife. And he made a covenant with you. And you broke it. So God is going to make a new covenant. And this is what it'll be like. Instead of being based on you keeping his laws, it'll be based on him forgiving you of all of your sins. And he will remember them no more. And there that verse lied in Jeremiah's writings for 600 years. There's coming a day when God will make this new covenant. Now, when Jesus picked up that cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, he was saying, this is the moment that Jeremiah's passage is fulfilled. I'm going to spill my blood and my blood will be in this new memorial meal. And the memorial meal called the Passover is obsolete now. And the, the agreement that God's people are the Jews is gone. God's people are the people washed in my blood who take it by faith, whether they're Jew or Gentile. It was monumental. Maybe it went right over the heads of the 12 disciples. We don't know. But they didn't, they didn't always, I mean, it wasn't all, always that they didn't understand because then later they started doing exactly what he said. They started having the Lord's Supper every Sunday as they remembered the resurrection of Christ, which was when he passed through death, remember Passover, and the meal of Christ, the Lord's Supper, every resurrection day, every seven days. And so the church celebrates the night that Jesus gave us, like it's once a year, on Monday, Thursday, the new covenant. And so we present to you, the disciples are going to tell you about their relationship they have with Jesus, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper as a celebration of the new covenant tonight. And we're going to be thinking about that our, our sins are forgiven. And I want you to notice, as each one of these men come forward and they tell you who they are and what their relationship to Jesus was, that the, the really the, the, the red thread that runs through every single one of them is that they knew that Jesus, the man in the middle, loved them and forgave them. The, se the scene we have is very simple. It's meant to remind you of da Vinci's painting of the Lord's Supper. It is unembarrassingly a European style of the Lord's Supper. In the Orient, in Jesus' day, they would have, it says they reclined on the floor. They were like at a, a, a coffee table height. 
But we've got it up there so you can see it. And these men are acting out, and they're sitting in the places where da Vinci said they would have sat. And so we're, we're kind of touching back in a moment in European history, which is a heritage of many of us, and, and the Lord's Supper as it really was in the Bible. So I now present to you the men of the Passion, the disciples of Jesus, and Jesus himself in a living presentation of the Lord's Supper. I am James, elder brother of John and a son of Zebedee. We were fishermen with our friends Andrew and Simon Peter when Jesus called us to become his disciples. John and I were quick to anger in those early days. One time when traveling to Jerusalem, the people of a little village refused us food and shelter. We had walked many miles that day and were footsore and weary. John and I were furious at the lack of courtesy. Angrily, I asked Jesus, Lord, let us call down fire from heaven to, to, to destroy this miserable little town. But sternly he replied, No, you do not know what you ask. The Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save. Then seeing our shamed faces, he knowingly added, You two brothers are as fierce and as quick as thunder and lightning. So sons of thunder we became. I have tried to quieten my thunder most of the time, but I get so angry with those who do not trust Jesus that sometimes it is hard to control my temper. Peter, John, and I were constant companions of Jesus. We were with him in Gethsemane that awful night before the crucifixion. I can never forget the desolation that we felt. My burning faith caused me to be the first martyr of the twelve disciples. When King Herod Agrippa started persecuting the church, I was beheaded with the sword, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus when he said, This cup that I drink, you shall drink also. Even though I had to pay the extreme sacrifice for my faith being martyred for Christ, I wouldn't change a moment of my time spent with him. My experience with Christ was wonderful beyond imagination. It is even said that my courage and forgiveness during my trial won my persecutor to the Christian faith. Though at times the situation was fearful and grim, I never doubted that Jesus was my king. I am John, brother of James. He has spoken about how, in spite of our quick tempers and our foolish impulsiveness, Jesus loved us dearly. And leaving our family to follow Jesus was the most important decision of our lives. I am the youngest disciple, and my time with Jesus was absolutely exhilarating. I was able to witness his miracles with excitement and awe, and I saw how his love and his concern brought hundreds to him. On that night which Jesus was betrayed, our master served to us the first communion. I sat on Jesus' right-hand side. He talked about betrayal and being taken from us. He seemed to be in some private agony that none of us could comprehend. I shall never forget that day when Jesus was crucified. The others fled, but how could I leave my Lord? He asked me to care for his mother. It was all I could do for him as he was hanging on that cross. Can you imagine the joy we felt when the women told us that he was risen? I outran Peter to the tomb to see if it was true. Later in my life, I was banished to the island of Patmos. It was there where I was given visions of the last days, which I recorded in the book of Revelation. My closing years were spent in Ephesus. I was the last disciple to bear earthly witness of Christ, and I lived to see the last of the first century. I am Philip, 
Nathaniel is my brother. I first came to Bethany to see John the Baptist, and it's there that I met Jesus. I found him to be a, a very interesting person and a very powerful speaker. So I had to run and grab my brother and bring him to come and see. We followed the master up and down Palestine. We saw him watch, walk, make the lame walk erect. The blind were given sight. Even those who were, were dead raised back to life. Soon, I knew that this was the Messiah. But I still had a lot to learn. It was beyond my understanding when Jesus told us that God was our Heavenly Father. It it was I who said to him, Just show us the Father and then we will be satisfied. But Jesus responded to me, After all that I have said and after all that I have done, Philip, do you not know that I am in the Father And the Father is in me. When you see me, you see the Father. Startled. I drew back from him. But I began to understand. Had I been the one who was blind? I had seen all the things that Jesus had done. I looked, but I didn't see. I heard, but I didn't understand. I accepted what he did, but then I demanded more proof. All of this failure served to strengthen my newborn conviction. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, I became a disciple and and a martyr for Christ. I was martyred in Heropolis. If I had it to do all over again, I would gladly follow Jesus. Except this time, I'd be even more faithful. I am James the Lesser, son of Alphaeus and Mary. History doesn't speak much of my life. There is even confusion of who I really am and if I was even the brother of Jesus. Whether I was his brother or not is unimportant. What is important is that Jesus called upon me to be one of his disciples, and I answered that call. The lessons I have learned from him have changed my life completely. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, it is as if a part of me died with him that day. But when he appeared in the upper room, it gave me new life and new spirit. Later on, I served as leader in the Church of Jerusalem. I am referred to as the Bishop of Jerusalem. My faith was a vital part of my life. By declaring my faith to all Jerusalem from the, from the temple raptors, I angered the scribes and Pharisees. In their, range, in their rage, they threw me to the ground. The fall did not kill me, so my attackers stoned me. When my master died, he called on God to forgive his murderers. How could I do any less? I am glad that I remembered I remained loyal to my master to the very end. As a Christian, it was my desire to show that Jesus came to reconcile man to man and man to God. I am Andrew. I'm not a particularly gifted man, but an average man like most of you. I was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee when I met John the Baptist. His challenging message moved me to follow him until the day that Jesus appeared. I knew at once I had found the Messiah. Peter also believed. I hurried to find my brother, Simon Peter, and said to him, Peter, we have found the Messiah. 
Peter also believed, and we followed the master, leaving behind our family, our friends, our fishing nets, and became fishers of men. On the day that Jesus spoke to the 5,000, it was I who saw the young lad with the five, fish, five loaves and two fishes. How incredible to feed so many with so little. Jesus filled our lives with so many wonders. My life ended in Petraea. The Roman proconsul was outraged by my refusing to sacrifice to the pagan gods and had me scourged and crucified. I was crucified on a Greek cross, unlike the Roman cross that Christ was crucified on. The Greek cross is in the form of an X. I died a martyr for Christ. I served my life for his cause, but I received so much more than I gave. I am Thaddeus. In John's Gospel, I'm called Jude. Matthew and Mark refer to me as Lebius. I became a disciple because, um, well, because I liked the way that Jesus walked boldly and bravely among all kinds of people. I thought that he was the kind of leader that we needed. He, uh, he had good common sense. Uh, he loved his fellow countrymen, and he was extremely loyal to his cause. The problem is that I, I really didn't fully understand his cause. You see, I thought that when Jesus talked about bringing about the kingdom of God, that that would mean that he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel to its former power and glory. But how wrong I was. Jesus talked to us about loving our enemies and returning good for evil. And he never once tried to stir us up. And he, he didn't reveal himself to other people in the way that I thought that he would. And, and finally, one day I just I said, Jesus, why are you only going to reveal yourself to us disciples and, and not to the rest of the world? And he told me, because I only reveal myself to those who love me and obey me. I was disappointed, but I knew him well enough to know that there was a lot of meaning behind those words. After Jesus died, I learned really what he had been trying to tell me. I finally figured it out, what he had been trying to tell me for so long, because I had always wanted him to show us his power. And I finally understood that his power is the power of love. And when I finally did understand my master, I made it my desire, my goal as a follower of Jesus to share his light and his healing with the whole world. I am Thomas, often called Didymus, the twin. But you all know me as Doubting Thomas. Even though as a man of unwavering faith, my devotion to Jesus never <clears throat> was very sincere. Like him, I had been a carpenter, and this made me feel closer to Jesus in our time together. But I was also a realist, and it confused me and discouraged me to see that 
the criticism of Jesus was growing. The disciples and I were almost too afraid to go with Jesus to Jerusalem that last time. But I became so impatient with our indecision to go with him that I shouted out, Let us go with him, even to die if it must be. So we went. Even now, it chills me to think of how prophetic my words were. We were all together at the Passover. The day was dark and oppressive. Now, the mood was set as Jesus talked to us about how he was going to leave us. I asked him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know which way to go? Jesus revealed his purpose to us when he answered, I am the life, the truth, and the life. Any man who comes to the Father must come through me. I was desolate after the crucifixion. I actually walked away and separated myself from the disciples. But eventually I returned to the upper room, and they said to me, He had risen. I couldn't believe him, though. I said, I have to see the wounds in his hands and put my fingers in his wounds and put my hands into his side. But then, when I saw him, and he spoke my name, I had to believe. This man was my Lord and my God. I rejoice today that I believed in the Master, and I gave my services to the King of Kings. I gave my life as a martyr for the faith in Jesus Christ, and I would gladly do it again. I am Judas Iscariot. I'm known to the world as a traitor who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Yes, I betrayed the Christ with a kiss. I received my call to be an apostle by the seed of Tiberius. I was always a man of ambitious designs. In fact, in the early days, I cherished the hope that Jesus establish an earthly kingdom that I would receive prominent position his political setup. I acted as treasurer for the twelve apostles. I followed Jesus not for spiritual motives but rather for personal gain. As a cover up for my greed and hypocrisy I pretended to be zealous in all my duties. I was always watching for new ways to get money. When Mary anointed Jesus, I protested. Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 shillings and the money given to the poor? I managed to conceal my true motives from the apostles. Somehow, I couldn't seem to fool the Christ. He was so very patient with me. Once he said, Haven't I chosen twelve of you? And one of you is the devil. Jesus knew my true motives, but the other disciples never guessed that I was a traitor. Then one night he said, What you are going to do, do it quickly. Immediately I turned on my master and went out into the night. I sought revenge. I sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 
and led the mob into the Garden of Gethsemane, where we found Jesus at prayer. And I betrayed him to the hands of the enemies with a kiss. When I kissed him, he called me friend. His words of love pierced me. My heart sank within me. My face burnt with the guilt of a traitor. My lust for revenge was satisfied. But I at once realized what a terrible mistake I had made. I was a victim of Satan. I was sorry for my mistake. Being a spiritual coward, I refused to ask Jesus for another chance. I knew he would give it to me, just as he had done Peter. But I had played with sin until it had consumed me. My tragic end is known to all the world. Like Zacchaeus, I'm a tax collector. I go by two names. Some call me Levi. Others call me Matthew, the publican. It is said that there is no class of men in the world more hated than tax collectors. But that didn't matter to Jesus. In fact, he walked right into my office one day and said, follow me. How could I resist? I even threw a great banquet for him, his disciples, and some of my business associates. When the Pharisees saw that, they complained about Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. But Jesus just said, it is not the healthy who need the physician, but the sick. From that day when I repented and I followed Jesus, the scriptures opened up to me. I understood how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Messiah. I first preached the gospel in my own country, Judea. It's said that of all the men who became his disciples, I was the least worthy. But in the hands of Jesus, Ivan wrote down a book of his teachings and his life. I became a missionary in every way possible. But I received the greatest reward. Jesus took me from a life of money and gave me riches of a far greater kind. My name is Nathaniel, though some call me Bartholomew. It was my brother Philip who had told me that he had found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. I was skeptical. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip ignored my sarcasm. He insisted that I go with him. When Jesus saw us coming, he said, Here is an honest man, a true son of Israel. I was, I was shocked. How do you know who I am, I demanded. Jesus looked steadily back at me and he said, I knew you even before Philip found you. I was amazed and I said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I knew that he was the Christ and that I, Nathaniel, needed him. 
I followed Jesus for the next three years as one of his disciples. After Jesus ascended, I worked with the other disciples in Jerusalem, and then later I traveled as a missionary in Persia, Egypt, and Armenia. The true manner of my death is not recorded. Some say that I was crucified or beheaded, and some even say that I was flayed alive. How I died is not important. What matters is that I died gladly for my Savior. My torturers, they destroyed my earthly body, and they put an end to my earthly ministry. But they could not destroy my soul that lives forever in the mansions of heaven with Christ, my Savior. I am Simon the Zealot. Before Jesus called me, I belonged to a group of red, hot-headed, bloodthirsty revolutionaries known as the Zealots. I hated Rome for enslaving my country and God for turning his back on us. My Jewish brothers seemed not to care that they were slaves in our own kingdom. But one day, while I was at the Sea of Tiberias, I met Jesus of Nazareth. He told me of a kind of kingdom, a kingdom of the heart, where God reigns supreme. Since that day, my attitude towards Rome, towards God, towards my fellow mankind has changed. My inner tensions have been relieved. I'm not uptight about things anymore. <clears throat> he gave me a balance in life I had not enjoyed before, a peace beyond understanding. I recognize him in hope and the answer for all humankind. Unconditionally and completely, I surrendered myself to him. To think his thoughts, to love as he loves, to obey as he obeys, and to serve as he serves. After the cross, I was still there. I dedicated my life to the ways of Christ. You see, there is no breach between the people that cannot be healed when they love Christ. I am Simon Peter. I was a fisherman with my brother Andrew before he took, brought me to Jesus. Jesus looked at me and said, Your name shall be Cephas, which means rock or stone. Maybe he saw already in me the faith and steadfastness that I would so yearn for, but would take so long to grow. I was so headstrong, and my impulsive spirit caused me to do and say many things that I am now very sorry. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the mob came after Jesus, I drew my sword and cut off the ear of a slave. Jesus was furious. He said, put your sword back in its sheath, for they that live by the sword will die by the sword. I, fed, I fled in shame and terror. It was I who boasted that I would never forsake Jesus. And then, in the face of danger, 
I cursed and denied my Savior. Three times I did it. Yet, when Jesus asked, Who do men say that I am? My voice was strong and sure. You're the Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus answered me. He said, You are Peter. Upon this church, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. After our Master ascended into heaven, I became one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, God spoke through me. He converted 3,000 souls. My life ended when I was 75. I died in Rome as a martyr for Christ. I asked to die head downwards because I knew that I was not worthy to resemble my Lord in His death. My life was like shifting sand until I found Christ. In Him, I found my true and sure foundation. Hello. I guess you know who I am. I am Jesus. I chose these men to be my disciples because I loved them. Each of them is unique with very obvious strengths and weaknesses, but I love each of them the same, even Judas. I didn't choose them because they were great men. I chose them because I loved them in a great way. And I wanted them to be there with me at that table before I died to receive the Lord's Supper for the first time. This supper is my gift to them and to all of you. Each time you take it, I am there with the same body and blood that was shed on my cross. I want you to feel and taste my love for you when you take the Lord's Supper. And I want you and that love, I want that love to make your love for each other grow. In a few moments, our pastor is going to consecrate the elements and give you, all of you, my supper. I want you to take it with the solemn joy that I have redeemed your life and made it mine. Let this gift to you be your strength and your reminder that my love will be here with you for your entire life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and confess our sins as you see them there in the folder. Receive the forgiveness of Christ. We have heard how Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's join together in a confession of our sin and of our need for His grace. Dear Jesus, we love you and believe you are our Savior. But we still daily sin much in our weaknesses, 
Since the last time we worshipped, we have said and done things of which we are ashamed. But we believe you have established this supper for our restoration under grace. So we confess our guilt and ask you to forgive us. In Christ's name, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. That Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he picked up the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We're ready now for you to come forward for your Lord's Supper. I'll tell the ushers, go ahead and usher up both sides at one time. I'll say a post-communion prayer, and then the ushers can come forward for our weekly or our evening offering, and you can fill out that blue card if you'd like, and uh, comments, prayer requests, anything you want to share with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave us this Lord's Supper and visited us tonight with your word and for the dedication of these men and musicians and the sacrament to give us a a moment with you that unites us around your throne of grace. Help us to live that grace in our relationships with each other to be as completely forgiving as you are and completely trusting as you want us to be about your grace toward each one of us. God, thank you for the gifts that you give to the church, your word and sacrament the Lord's Supper, baptism, for people like this that will serve us again and uh, show us what moments with you were like. Thank you for washing feet that night and teaching us to love one another. Thank you for going to the Garden of Gethsemane and praying and not, uh, not backing away from the calling that you had to save our souls. Thank you for the peace that we have tonight. Help, help us take it home and to use it to wield off any anxiety that any of us may have about anything in this life because we know you are with us and we belong to you. Be with troubled hearts that don't have this grace, do not understand it. Help them to come and find it. Help us to go find them and drag them along for Easter festivities or for our Good Friday service tomorrow night. And now hear us as we pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now as you go on your way, may God go with you. May he go behind you to encourage you, in front of you to show you the way, beside you to be your friend and over you to watch over your life, and especially inside of you by his word and Holy Spirit to give you the peace that passes all understanding.